Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Should God have done it differently? How often have you heard people say to you, well, I can't believe you're God because God would do things differently if he really existed. I mean, look, the Bible, too complex, too contradictory, they'll say. And if God did exist, you know, he would have sent Jesus a lot sooner than... uh, than he did. And why doesn't God just appear to everyone? I mean, he's too hidden. If he appeared to everyone, everyone would believe. He won't appear to me, won't write his name in the stars or write in the stars, I am here. Why doesn't he do that? And what about those that have never heard? If I was God, I'd do things differently. Why doesn't God heal amputees? And by the way, God didn't design our bodies as good as human engineers could. So there, there really is no God. Because if there was a God, he would do these things that I mentioned right here differently. Well, I got a letter from a gentleman by the name of Chris. He says, uh, an email, and our email address, as you know, is hello at crossexamine.org. You're listening, by the way, to Crossexamine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. He says, my name is Chris, and, uh, and I'm a big follower of your work. Because of apologetics, I've grown in my faith, been able to provide many answers to objections I was not able to answer growing up in church my whole life, sadly, he says. A question I have, it regards a question a former pastor now claimed non-theist, an author posed to me on Twitter. Well, there's the first mistake. You can't argue on Twitter. What do you got, 280 characters now? But anyway, he says uh, uh, he's taken issue with the fact that if God is the God of the universe and the proposed author of the Bible, he would have been better at communicating and not producing a book that in his terms is, quote, complex and requires, quote, experts to understand. When I asked him how those objections disqualify the Bible from being true, here is his response. He says, quote, a test of authorship is whether the writing displays the characteristics known to be true in the name writer. The argument is simple and easy to understand. The God of the universe would not produce such an error-ridden, confusing, self-contradictory, and hard-to-read book, unquote. Now, it's Chris writing again. He says, my first thought is that confusing and hard to read are subjective opinions and not ultimate standards for everyone. They don't disqualify something from being true. But backing up, we know God used humans to author the Bible, so minor errors in copying and manuscripts could be expected characteristics of the writers. However, I believe this argument is more along the lines that a perfect God would make a simple, perfect, easy-to-understand book, and ultimately, he would not have allowed humans to make those errors. God would have kept it error-free. I asked him what errors and self-contradictions he found that affected significant theological doctrine, and he he referred me to his book. I'm not going to name the book. This guy is an apostate pastor. Anyway, he said, I watched some of your YouTube videos on this, but I think he's going in a bit of a different direction. He's thinking perfection should ultimately result in perfection, and since he doesn't see it, he denies it. My question is, I feel like he's using a fallacious argument, but I'm not quite sure how to respond to him other than read his book and see the errors that he's found. I'm not sure it's. I want to pay $20 for that. Thanks, Chris. Now, let me say one thing about 
I've noticed about former Christians. Now, I've never met this guy who's writing to this gentleman, Chris, or so I could be wrong about this. I'm just talking about the people that I've run into who are former Christians. I've noticed that former Christians, the ones that I've encountered anyway, appear to be the most strident against Christianity. It seems to me they protest a bit too much. It seems to me that they're trying to validate their decision to leave Christianity in Christ, and they'll grasp at any argument, no matter how weak, in order to do that. Now, again, I can't say this is true of everyone. Again, I'm just basing it on the observations I've had. But it really seems they're doing whatever they can to validate their decision. Now, why is this not a good argument against the Bible or against Christianity? Well, there's, there's two reasons, I think. I think a non-theist or an atheist, in order to make claims like this, has to assume a standard. God should do it my way. Well, look, if you're an atheist or you're a non-theist, I think you have two problems when you think God isn't doing something according to your wishes. Number one, what's your standard to make such judgments? I mean, is it just yourself, just your your feelings, your preferences? And number two, why trust what you think about anything, much less what God is or isn't doing? Now, I'm going to unpack those through the course of this program, but those seems to me to be the two main problems. You're assuming a standard to make these judgments, and secondly, if you're an atheist, Why should you assume anything you think is true? Especially what you think about what God should and shouldn't be doing. Why are you trusting your intuitions at all? Let's start with the first one. The standard. By what standard are you claiming that God has set up his revelation wrongly? That his revelation is inadequate and that you have a better way? How do you know that God isn't achieving his goals with the Bible just the way it is? How do you know? How do you know he's... He's not doing that. And by the way, this is true of other atheist complaints about the way God's running the universe. In fact, if you notice, most atheists don't provide a number of arguments as to how reality can be explained if there is no God. In fact, that's one of the reasons when I debate atheists, I never debate does God exist. I I debate what best explains reality. Is it theism or atheism? Because it, it puts the burden of proof on both of us. You have to explain how the universe could exist and how objective moral values could exist and how life could exist and how consciousness could exist and and how this fine-tuned universe could exist if there is no God. You can't just say, well, I don't think your God is the right God and you don't have any burden of proof at all. I mean, it's easy to smell a rotten egg. It's hard to lay a better one. Okay, you, you say my egg is rotten. Well, what egg are you going to lay to tell me that here's how the universe is? And, and this is one of the biggest oversights I see when it comes to Christian atheist debates, is that atheists somehow just think they don't have any burden of proof at all. They can just shoot down Christianity or attempt to do so anyway, and they have no burden of proof at all for atheism. As if, it, well, it's just a lack of belief. Well, no, we've been through this on this program before. No, it's not just a lack of belief. It's the, it's the claim that there is no God, that reality can be explained best by saying there is no God. And in fact, I, I liken it to, to, say, two detectives. Let's borrow my friend Jay Warner Wallace. Let's say Jay Warner Wallace goes and he sees a, um, a dead body, and uh, he's trying to figure out what caused this body to be dead. And as he's, he's pointed out there's only four possibilities, that it was a natural death, it was a homicide, it was an accidental death, or it was a suicide. 
Those are the only four choices you got, right? Um, and say another detective gets there, and they both look at the evidence. Jim looks at the evidence, and the other detective looks at the evidence, and Jim says, okay, I think I have a suspect. Here's my suspect. And the other detective says, no, I don't think your suspect is the right suspect. And, 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 and here's why. I, I, I think you got the wrong guy. And then Jim turns to the other detective and says, okay, well, who do you think did it? And he goes, oh, I, I don't have to give any reason. Or I don't have to give any suspect. I just don't think your guy is the right guy. Well, you can just say, I mean, you can do that. You can say, well, your guy isn't the right guy. Okay, that's fine. But you just can't stop there and say, I don't have to do any more research. I don't have to, I don't have to uh, do any more detective work. My job is done here. I've just shot down your suspect, but I, as a detective, don't have to come up with a suspect. No, you're a detective. You have just as much burden of proof to try and come up with a suspect for that dead body as Jim Wallace does. Just because you don't like his suspect doesn't mean your job is over. And the same is true when it comes to atheists and Christians. Christians going to come forth and say, okay, here's why I think the God of the Bible is the best explanation for all these aspects of reality. Now, the atheist can try and shoot those things down. That's his prerogative. But he can't just say at that point, well, my job's done here. I just lack a belief in God. I mean, if he's doing that, then he's not really being a detective. He's not really being someone who is trying to explain reality. He's just saying, I don't think your explanation of reality is good. Now, we're going to get back to this question of did God give an inadequate judgment? And what are the problems with saying that? An inanimate, uh, sorry, an inadequate revelation. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just two minutes, so don't go away. Welcome back to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it.org. And our app is two words in the app store, Cross Examine. If you don't have the app, you ought to download it. It's free. It's got a lot of great stuff on it, including this radio program, this podcast. And uh, you can also see the TV show streaming live there. So check all that out. Let's get back to our topic today. Uh, we're talking about this uh question I got that this former pastor says, well, the Bible's inadequate. If I was God, I would do, I would, I would put forth a different, more perfect revelation. And we said he has a couple of problems. One is he's making a standard without, or he's making a judgment without a standard if he's an atheist. And uh, secondly, why should you trust anything you think if you're an atheist, uh, much less what God is or isn't doing? And we're talking about the first one now, the standard. And the question is, what standard is this gentleman using to say that the Bible is inadequate? And now he didn't, he didn't give us any specific contradictions. Maybe, maybe he thinks there are contradictions and he has them in his book. He didn't highlight any of these. Um, but you can't fault somebody for a particular design unless you know what the intentions of the designer are. Maybe God is getting his will done through the revelation that we currently have. Uh, this is one of the problems that atheists have when they try and claim, say, well, God didn't design our bodies, for example, as good as, say, human engineers would. You know, why didn't God give us Teflon-coated arteries and, and uh, titanium bones? You know, a human engineer would do that. Why didn't God do that? Well, you can't fault God because maybe the reason he didn't do it that way is because he doesn't want our bodies to last that long. 
or maybe because there's a trade-off. Whenever you're in a world with physical constraints, there's no such thing as perfect design. There's only optimum design based upon the intentions of the design. Maybe uh, titanium bones would be too heavy and we couldn't move as easily. Uh, there, there could be a number of reasons for it. You can't fault a designer unless you know what his intentions are. You can't fault the maker of the Volkswagen Beetle because it doesn't carry 53 passengers, passengers like a passenger bus does. You can't say, well, you know, it, if I was designing this thing, I'd make it carry 53 passengers. Well, the Volkswagen Beetle designer didn't want it to carry 53 passengers. And they traded off the number of passengers it could carry for fuel economy and maneuverability. Same thing is true with your iPhone. You know, I wish my iPhone battery lasted longer than the 37 minutes it lasts now. But if it did, the iPhone designers would probably have to make it a lot bigger. They could make it the size of a briefcase and it would last a week, but it wouldn't be very portable then. So they traded battery power for portability. They had an optimum design rather than the design of my preference, perhaps. And so again... You can't fault someone unless you know what their intentions are. And by the way, um, it would be foolhardy to say that because the iPhone doesn't have the design characteristics I desire, that the, the iPhone, therefore, is not designed. Now, even bad design is still design. Even if you think it's bad, it's still design. So these, these arguments that the atheists bring forth are based on their, their own preferences that they wish God did things differently. Well, you know, half the time I wish that too. But that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. Just like it doesn't mean the iPhone designers don't exist because I don't like the way they design the iPhone. And by the way, some of the objections that are brought up are moral because if you if you uncover this objection that you know, it's too complex, only experts can understand the Bible. Well, first of all, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, there are areas you need to be an expert to understand, but other areas you don't. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You don't need to be an expert to know that. You don't need to be an expert to know that you're saved by grace and not by works so that none should boast. You don't need to be an expert for that. You don't need to be an expert that Jesus died and rose from the dead and he came as a ransom. There's no expert necessary. You don't need to be an expert to know that somebody who is dead, isn't coming back to life unless there's a God who can rise him from the dead or raise him from the dead. You don't need to be an expert for that. But there are some aspects of this objection which turn out to be moral. If you, un if you uncover this objection, he's basically saying that if there was a loving God, he'd have a better revelation that more people could understand so more people could become saved. That's really where this is going. Well, again, how do you know that if the revelation wasn't based on your preferences, that fewer people would be saved? You don't know that. In fact, this is all speculation. And you don't have a moral standard, if you're an atheist or a non-theist, to say that God is immoral for doing something a certain way. Now, an atheist could say, if your God is loving, why didn't he do it differently? And, you know, we can investigate that, speculate, and perhaps come up with some possible or definite answers. But what you can't say is, there is no God, and the God of the Bible is immoral. 
because you don't have any moral standard by which to judge that. We don't know what the world would be like if there either was a different Bible or no Bible at all, because it's a counterfactual claim. And this idea that we can judge God's divine psychology is a very dangerous enterprise to think that we, these fallen creatures who have a very small window of uh, time in which to observe reality and have a very small window of, of experience, given where we live and what we can experience, that we're going to judge the entire creator of the universe or the creator of the entire universe as to how he should do things, that's very dangerous, it appears to me. And again, it presupposes that our standard that we might have is automatically better than an objective standard that comes from God's nature. Um, And by the way, I think that the Bible is a blend of complex and simple revelation. But I think that makes sense for an infinite God. In fact, it would be strange if an infinite God wasn't strange to us. It would also wouldn't be. It wouldn't be very deep just to have, say, a book of. Um, I I don't know, just a book of statements or a book of proclamations. But when you have prophecy and parables and poetry, I mean, you have a complete. The Bible is a complete literary masterpiece. It's a literary catalog of all sorts of different genres of literature that are so deep. I mean, I can read a passage that I've read a hundred times and stop and say, I never saw that about this. Or I never saw how this passage related to this passage. Or how this story relates to that story. Or how this character in the Old Testament is actually a type of Christ. I never saw that before. It's an amazing tapestry. God is the only perpetual novelty. And to think that this infinite being should write a basic kid's book. See, socks run. And if he doesn't do that, then it's not a perfect revelation. I don't think that necessarily follows. And by the way, being clear doesn't automatically mean people will accept it. People suppress the truth all the time. There are people today that are denying the earth is round. There are flat earthers out there now. Could the evidence be more clear that it's round? There are people today denying that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and they're adamant about it. And they will shout you down and call you all sorts of names if you don't want to live in their fantasy. There are people today who are refusing to acknowledge that a nine-month-term baby is a human being who deserves protection. 44 members of the U.S. Senate this week said that that's not a human being who deserves protection. It's clear as day. Everybody knows this. But they suppress the truth to go their own way. So it's not a matter of the clarity of the revelation. It's a matter of the darkness of the heart. The Bible is clear on the plain things. And the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. But it is a deep, robust revelation of 40 different authors over 1,500 years. 
And even within its pages, you have people who illustrate the fact that it doesn't doesn't matter how clear something is people are going to suppress it and reject it to go own, uh, to go their own way so nazareth raises lazarus from the dead in front of people and the pharisees or the high priests want to kill him they want to kill him and they want to kill lazarus they know he's an innocent man they even say so but Jesus is getting in the way of business. So we're going to suppress the truth there. You see, it's not the evidence that's the problem. It's the heart that's the problem. Men love darkness rather than light. And so I think the evidence is quite clear and the revelation is quite clear. While I do acknowledge there are areas of the Bible that I don't even understand and many people don't understand and there's even disputes in some areas. But they're not the main things. They don't have much to do with salvation. And the purpose of the Bible stated itself is to make you wise unto salvation. That's the purpose. Second Timothy chapter three. It's not to tell you everything about everything It's to make you wise unto salvation. So when atheists bring up, well, you know, if I was God, I'd do it. A different way well okay maybe you would but you're not god you don't have the perspective god has and why should we why should we trust your intuitions and your standard when you don't really even have a standard in order to judge god that he's doing it wrong um by the way if uh you notice some of these objections I brought up. God's revelation is too complex and contradictory. God's waited too long to send Jesus. God, does, Why doesn't God appear to everyone? Why won't God appear to me? Why doesn't God heal amputees? What about those that have never heard? Why didn't God design our bodies as good as human engineers could? Notice that most atheists don't really have arguments as to why atheism is true or how this universe could exist in the absence of God. They have a few things they point to. They'll say evolution or quantum vacuums or multiverses, these speculative theories. They don't really have arguments, however. They just have complaints about the way God's running the universe. Well, again, you need a standard. And when we come back, we'll talk about the fact that why should we trust an atheist or why should an atheist trust his own intuitions and his own conclusions about this if atheism is true and then we're going to try and get to a couple other questions including the blockbuster video we just put out that's getting about 2,000 well i'll tell you about it right after the break i'm frank turk don't go away do you know ladies and gentlemen that not only donald trump but a porn star by the name of jenna jameson is scolding the Democrats for allowing babies to be butchered, for not standing up and saying, we won't stand for full-term babies coming out of the womb, surviving an abortion. We will not say that they need to be protected by federal law. 44 U.S. senators just voted this past week to not protect Babies born alive as the result of an abortion. And Donald Trump, 
I mean, when you're getting lectured on morality from Donald Trump and a porn star, you know your moral position must be totally in the gutter. Okay? And President Trump, to his credit, a few weeks ago, was in the presence of Senator Coons from Delaware. May have been at the prayer meeting or somewhere near the prayer meeting. And he's a Democrat. He claims to be a Christian. And Trump went after him and said, how could you not protect innocent babies who are born? How could you, how could you not protect them? I mean, he scolded the guy. And now you've got a porn star scolding the Democrats for this. I mean, they're literally supporting infanticide, friends. I'm sorry, I can't not talk about this. I know we've talked about it in previous shows, but I mean, this is... I, I can't even believe we're here in our culture today, that you would have to have 44 U.S. senators. And by the way, you can find the list of these senators. Every one of them is a Democrat. And as you know, we don't get into endorsing candidates on this program, but we will tell you the moral issues of the day and how people are voting. And every Democrat in the United States Senate, with the exception of three, Casey from Pennsylvania, um, the senator from uh, West Virginia, I'm trying to think of his name right now. It's on, I can see the guy. It's on the tip of my tongue. And one other senator. Otherwise, all the Democrats voted to not protect babies who are being born. I, 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 I don't know what to say other than this is madness. Uh, now, look, being pro-life does not qualify you for public office. But in my opinion, being pro-abortion disqualifies you from public office especially a nine-month-old baby. Now, Governor Cuomo from New York, when he celebrated the fact that he had made this legal in New York, he said any argument against this is a religious argument. Uh, Excuse me, um, Governor. Thou shalt not murder is a religious argument. Does that mean we can't have thou shalt not murder in our laws? Please. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you can't legislate it. And by the way, we don't legislate it just because it's in the Bible. Thou shalt not murder is part of the natural law as well, which comes from the same source as the Bible. And no, it's not just a religious argument. We're not legislating religion. We're not telling people where, when, or how, or if to worship. That would be legislating religion. But we are legislating morality, and that's what everybody's trying to do. It's a moral position to say you ought not murder babies in the womb, especially those that are born full term, and they're outside the womb. That's not just a religious argument. I mean, it, it, it is for religious people an argument, but it's also a moral argument. And by the way, you're trying to make a moral argument when you say a woman has a moral right to abort a child at nine months. You're saying she has a moral right to choose. Look, everybody's trying to legislate morality. The only question is whose morality. And when people say, don't impose your morality on me, I say, this isn't my morality. I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't make up the fact that murder's wrong, that abortion's wrong, that theft is wrong that men were made for women and women were made for men in the best way to perpetuate and stabilize society, which is why the government's involved in marriage to begin with, is to legally recognize the man-woman marriage over any other sexual relationship. I didn't make any of this stuff up. This is not my morality. This is the morality. This is the one Thomas Jefferson said was self-evident. This is the one the Apostle Paul said, the Gentiles don't have the law of the law written on their hearts. You don't even need religion to know this. You need God to justify it But you don't need God to know it because everybody knows this, whether they're atheists or not. 
So don't buy into this idea that the separation of church and state or the religious argument has anything to do with it. It has zip, zero, nada. This is a moral situation. And every law declares one behavior right and the opposite behavior wrong. And unfortunately and tragically, an entire political party appears to be bought in to the idea that you can murder full-term babies. Sorry, that's just the way it is. You don't like it. You don't have a problem with me. You've got a problem with the Democratic Party. And by the way, the Republicans haven't been all that much better on this either. They claim they're all pro-life, but when they have a chance to, 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 to do something about it, rarely do they do it. Every once in a while they do. They got the partial birth abortion bill pa- uh, uh, banned through George W. Bush, but that just, that just banned a, a method of abortion. It didn't ban a time of abortion. You can still abort babies up to nine months just by a different method. So this is ludicrous, ladies and gentlemen. And whose fault is it? Yeah, it's our fault, the church, because the church hasn't been engaged enough in society. We haven't been able to explain this. We haven't been able to advocate for it without sounding obnoxious and without sounding like we're theocrats. You don't even need to bring the Bible into any of this. All you need to do is point out that's a human being who deserves protection. Atheists know that. Everybody knows that. The question is, are you going to suppress it? You want clear revelation. Well, it's clear as a bell, but you don't want it. Yeah, you don't want it. That's the problem. It's not a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the will. It's not about God's existence. As my friend Andy Stanley said, it's about your resistance. You don't want it to be true. By the way, I got to mention CIA is coming up again. It's going to be in Brooklyn, New York this time at the uh, Christian Cultural Center. We're going to the Big Apple in August David Wood is added to the teaching team there, as well as uh, Elisa Childers. Check all the details out on our website, crossexamine.org. If you want to be a part of the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy CIA, you've got to sign up soon. It's not cheap. You've got to apply, but we always fill it up. It's great training, so hope you can be there. By the way, this uh, Wednesday night, March 6th, I'll be at Calvary Chapel, Lexington, South Carolina. That's Columbia, uh, South Carolina, basically. Right near there. And the next night, I'll be at the University of Southern. Not Southern. Not Southern California. I'm not going to say it. USC is South Carolina. I'll be at the University of South Carolina uh, the next night, March 7th. Uh, All my sons went to South Carolina, so I'm looking forward to doing it. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist there. It'll be streamed as well. Then uh, the University of Memphis, Monday, March 18th. UT Dallas, March 28th. UT Arlington, March 29th. Rethink with our friends at... Um, at uh, Stand to Reason, Friday night and Saturday night, uh, that entire weekend, and then Cottonwood Creek Church on that Sunday morning. Check all the details on our website, crossexamine.org, for more. Now, I mentioned uh, before the break we had this video that uh, just went, I hate using the word viral, but this one did. I had a lady ask me a question um, at when I was at Towson University why would God make me a lesbian? Well, the first day we put this out, it got 2,000, almost 2,000 views an hour. And it's still going strong. Check that out. And maybe I'll talk about that if I get any time toward the end of this program a little bit more. But I want to go back to our issue here. Uh, when atheists claim or non-theists claim that God should do things differently, the first problem is they don't have a standard by which they should judge God. They don't even know what God's intentions are. So how do they know that the way he's doing it 
isn't the way he ought to be doing it. But the second problem they have is this. Why trust your thoughts or your intuitions about how things should be done if you're an atheist or a non-theist? Because, you see, this is the fatal flaw. It's the universal asset of materialism. On one hand, these atheists claim that they, including their brains, are the result of mindless, purposeless, unguided processes. On the other hand, they are trusting that those very undesigned brains should be trusted not only for the little truths about how the world actually works, but the big cosmic truths about how the world should work. Well, ladies and gentlemen, why trust your thoughts? Why trust your intuitions? Why trust your judgments about anything if your brain is the result of thoughtlessness? If your brain is merely the result of mindless processes? Why would anyone trust a computer that wasn't designed? I mean, why? Why why, why would you do that? Then then why would you trust your brain? It wasn't designed either, according to your worldview. Now, I, I think the brain is evidence of a designer, so I have grounds to trust my brain and its corresponding mind. But atheists don't have that in their worldview. Atheists have destroyed the very apparatus they need to criticize God. If you can't trust your brain, you can't trust your atheistic conclusions or your intuitions that if there was a God, he would do things differently. Look, you've neutered your ability to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist because there is no intellect to be fulfilled if you're an atheist. If you're a moist robot, you're just dancing to your DNA, then there is no right and wrong. There is no should or shouldn't. There is no better or best way of doing anything if everything is just blind physics. And that's what you have to believe if you're a materialist. So you have to steal from God in order to criticize the way God's doing things. You have to steal your brain from God, a designer who designed your brain to know truth, and to have a standard and to make these judgments about the way the world is working, you'd have to steal that from God in order to claim the way God's doing it doesn't, isn't the right way. I mean, it would be like, like me saying my computer wasn't designed. And then you ask me, well, how do you know your computer's not designed? Well, because I fed some raw data into it, and it told me it wasn't designed. <laughs> Come on. It, <laughs> why trust it then? And as I've said before so many times in this show, and, so, and you know, some people say, well, Frank, you talk about the same things all the time. Well, sometimes I do, because repetition is the mother of skill. I need to hear things five times before I got it. But it's the same problem with atheism over and over again. The same questions you guys send me have the same answers. If an atheist is making any claim about anything, you ought to stop and say, time out. How do you know that claim is true? Why should you even trust your mind? Why should you even trust your claim? The claim you're making now was reasoned to, and you freely followed the evidence. If A, if you're just a moist robot that doesn't have free will, you're just a molecular machine, it's the same answer every time. Because any any attempt to criticize God, or any attempt to say God doesn't exist, has to use the very brain you say isn't designed, if you're an atheist. So why trust By the way, I also want to mention that uh, we've got some new courses coming up. Gary Habermas, The Resurrection Course. 
the best guy in the world on the resurrection will be online live with you via zoom video if you take the premium version of the resurrection course it starts in a couple of weeks i think it's march 11th go to crossexamine.org click on online courses to be a part of it do it soon we're running out of room back in two Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. I got another email, and by the way, our email address is hello at crossexamine.org. I try and get to as many as I can, friends. Forgive me if I don't get to yours, but I'm doing the best I can. Uh, this is, comes from Kenneth Marple. He says, I enjoy listening and reading your material. A precursor to my comment is I do have a master's in apologetics. Good deal. And I typically look to guys like you to round out my knowledge. And I was listening on February 2nd, the February 2nd podcast, and I noticed how you responded to the question about causality only being in the physical realm. That's when we were talking about Lawrence Krauss saying that all, all causes must be physical. We were pointing out how that, that can't be. Anyway, he goes on to say, your positions were well stated and true, but I had a thought to round out a different angle. If a person supposes that only things within the material world can have cause and effect relationships, then that person would have to believe that the universe is eternal. The reason is, for cause and effect to happen at all, then everything material has to be eternal or there would be nothing. I think this would then cause them to face the overwhelming evidence against a beginningless universe from a scientific angle, and they would have to believe against the evidence or, su- or submit that cause and effect relationship transcends the material. Just a thought I wanted to share with you. Blessings for all you do for the Christian cause. In him, Ken Marple. Good point, Ken. Yes, because you can't go on an infinite regress of material causes. Um, because if you did, then the universe would have to be, A, eternal, but B, If it was, if the universe was eternal, then the cause and effect relationship you're witnessing right now, you wouldn't be able to witness. Why? Because there's an infinite number of cause and effect relationships prior to this one. And if there's an infinite number of cause and effect relationships prior to this one, then the one you're trying to observe now, you would never observe because it never would have gotten here. You'd always have to observe another one before you got to this one. It's the Kalam cosmological argument all over again, friends that there can't be an infinite number of days before today, because there were, if there were an infinite number of days before today, the day we're in right now never would have gotten here. Why? Because you'd always have another day to live before you got to this one. Why? Because there's an infinite number of them. Yes, this can give you intellectual constipation, especially here on radio, because I can't show you a graphic. Which, But the point here is, is Ken is making the proper point, that... There can't be an infinite number of anything in the past. There can't be an infinite number of seconds, days, minutes, whatever you want to call it. There can't be an infinite number of material things either. There can't be an infinite number of atoms or marbles. There has to be only a finite number of these things. And the evidence shows that all material things had a beginning And if all material things had a beginning, then the ultimate cause wasn't material. The ultimate cause was immaterial that brought the material into existence. Look, at the end of the day, you've got two options. Either matter gave rise to mind or mind gave rise to matter. All the evidence shows matter had a beginning, including the argument we just mentioned here. If matter had a beginning, then ultimate reality is a mind. Ultimate reality is immaterial. And this makes sense, too, just from our basic understanding of cause and effect. Everything that's made of matter is composed. And if it's composed, it's, put to, it's, it's made of parts, which means someone had to compose it. 
But you can't want an infinite regress of composers. Ultimately, you've got to get back to an uncomposed composer who created the first material and composed it, i.e. God. So, good insight from uh, Ken uh, Marple. Thanks for sending that in. And if you think about this long enough, you realize you do get back to a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent, moral creator who created all things and sustains all things and whose every attribute is infinite. You put all the arguments for God together, that's where you, that's where you wind up. Now, if you want to deny basic causality, you might as well give up all science and just call yourself somebody who is uh, just somebody who, I guess, decides that he's going to believe things on no evidence. Because if you give away cause and effect, then you can't even believe uh, your own experience because you don't know if the cause of your experience actually caused your experience. Cause and effect is just one of the fundamental laws of the universe every effect has a cause doesn't mean everything has a cause there has to be something that's uncaused but every effect has a cause in any event let's go back to this uh, question that came up at Towson University a young lady asked me would God make me a lesbian now we put this up earlier in the week as I mentioned this I guess people would expect this to be a controversial Q&A, and maybe there might be some conflict going on here. We had a very cordial discussion. Uh, you can watch it for yourself. If you go to our YouTube channel, you'll see it there. Why, why would God make me a lesbian? I gave a, a four-minute answer, and some of it was in response to some follow-on questions she had. Uh, if I had more time, I would make some other points, and I'll make a couple of points right now that I didn't have time to make. Uh, and... Much of this is spelled out in uh, my updated book called Correct, Not Politically Correct, How Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone. We updated it after the Supreme Court decision. And uh, so if you want more on this, get that little book called Correct, Not Politically Correct. Uh, but when someone says, God made me this way, notice that's a design argument. It's saying that God has designed me in a certain way, and therefore he wants me to act that way. Well, when people say that, First of all, they're presupposing a designer. But secondly, they're also forgetting that if you're going to say that God designed your desires, why would you forget that he also designed your body? And it's quite clear that God designed your body, but it might not be clear that God designed your desires because your environment, your nurture rather than your nature, can sometimes result in a particular sexual orientation or sexual preference you might have. There's been research done on this, okay? So God certainly gave you your body. You're not sure if he gave you your desires, but why would God give you a body that is designed to act heterosexually, but your desires for you to act homosexually? It doesn't seem like God would do that. And that's why it might be more of a, a nurture, an environmental issue with the feelings than it would be certainly with the body. There's, your, your, your environment doesn't give you your body. God gave you your body, but your environment could give you your feelings. And there's a difference between attractions and actions. We all have attractions we ought not, we ought not act on. In fact, I mentioned that in the video. 
every one of us is born with an orientation toward bad behavior. So being born a certain way, even if you are born that way, even if, even if due to this fallen world you were born with some sort of genetic predisposition to a particular behavior, that would not necessarily make that behavior something you ought to do. I mean, people are born with all sorts of potentially genetic influences, whether it's to alcohol, alcoholism or drugs, or tragically, there are some are claiming that pedophilia is, has a genetic component. And that's what some of the pedophiles will say, we're born this way. Well, you can't use that argument. Just like uh, someone who, uh, who claimed to have an antipathy t- uh, toward uh, homosexuals. If they said, I was born with the anti-gay gene, you wouldn't say that that, that person was therefore justified in treating homosexuals unkindly or bashing them. Being born a certain way with regard to feelings is not, does not give you justi- justification to act that way. We all have struggles with our attractions, but those struggles don't justify our, or those attractions don't justify the actions that we might want to engage in. So that's something that can be unpacked further in this delegate discussion. And look, we ought to have compassion for people who have these attractions, no matter where they come from, especially if they don't want them. Because they didn't choose to have these attractions. They just have them. Now, don't get me wrong. You can feed your attractions by going down that road, just like you can feed, can feed lust by looking at pornography or uh, gazing at people you're attracted to. So there are things you can do to... Um, there are things you can do to ensure that you don't feed the attractions you already have. But some of the attractions we have, we have little control over. We can only control what we do with them. And in fact, the principled restraint of desires, particularly destructive desires, is something we call civilization. Because if we did not restrain our destructive desires, we wouldn't have civilization because every single one of us, me included, you included, everyone listening to me right now, probably every day we have desires to do something destructive. If we don't restrain those desires, then we're not going to have civilization. C.S. Lewis famously said, for any success in this world, quite a lot of restraint is going to be necessary. So while we can have compassion for people that struggle sexually in many different ways, We should never move from compassion to false compassion, which is, oh, since you're struggling with it, I'm going to condone the behavior that you want to engage as a result of it. That's not true compassion. That's false compassion. True compassion is, I will stand in the way of behavior that's going to hurt you and hurt others and is against God's will, even if you hate me for it. As Paul says, love always protects. The way do you protect people? Just like if you're a parent, you you don't, you don't, tolerate everything your child wants to do if you're a parent. You're not loving if you do that. You only can love somebody if you're willing to protect them. And sometimes you've got to protect them against themselves. By the way, I spoke a lot more on the transgender issue in last week's podcast and also the last two segments of the December 28, 2018 podcast called True for You But Not For Me, that podcast. So if you want more on that issue... Go back to that podcast and listen to it. I have a final question here I need to get to very quickly. Someone asked me about uh, Jesus being the Messiah. Why don't more Jews believe Jesus is the Messiah? Go back and listen to our January 23rd, 2018 podcast with Dr. Michael Brown. 
It's all there. And check out his website, realmessiah.com. realmessiah.com with Dr. Michael Brown. All right, friends, I'm Frank Turk. Great being with you again. Don't forget, University of, of South Carolina this Thursday night. The night before that, I'll be at Calvary Chapel, Columbia, South Carolina, really Lexington, South Carolina. Uh, and then I will see you here, prayerfully I will anyway, next week. God bless. Great being with you. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.